0: Welcome to the circuit of success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got Samantha Russell with me. Samantha, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing really good. How are you?
0: I am great. It's good to be with you. I see your face all the time, it seems like. But it's <laughs> it's through social media and, and all the stuff and all the value you're bringing to uh, the investment advisors out there in the world, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about. But we're going to talk about uh, kind of the mindset and the success you've had over your career. And so we're excited to do that today. So you are the uh, chief evangelist. At FMG Suites in uh, 20 over 10, uh, you are a uh, wife. You are a mother of two, soon to be, what people can't see on the screen here, is soon to be three.
1: <laughs> right. Right? Yes. We're very excited. Coming in uh, just about 13 weeks, but who's counting?
0: 13 weeks. Well, you're counting. That's who's counting, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so you're having a little boy. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So we have a six-year-old boy, a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and now this baby coming as a boy as well.
0: That is awesome. Well, that uh, daughter of yours is going to be protected on both sides, right? From the yeah. little brother's friends, the big brother's friends, and uh, and so on. So, well, uh, you were also, we were talking before we recorded, you, our worlds uh, growing up were a little differently. I'm an only child. You're the oldest of six. Uh, so your house was really loud. My house was really quiet growing up, uh, but you don't just wake up and become this entrepreneur. You've built a great business, um, which, you know, we are, are going to be a part of. And and so we're excited about that, but tell us a little bit more about Samantha. What made you the woman you are today? And uh, and how did you just wake up and become the successful entrepreneur?
1: Well, um, you know, thank you for all the nice, the nice compliments, by the way. And I, so I, I did grow up the oldest of six kids in Cleveland, Ohio, um, very like simple Midwestern upbringing. Uh, everybody in our neighborhood was mostly Catholic. We all went to the same Catholic parochial school. Um, everybody was sort of in the same socioeconomic status. So there was no like, you know, keeping up with the Joneses really in our neighborhood, yeah. it was a very working class neighborhood. And my mom sort of um, was the first entrepreneur I had to look up to because she, even though there were six of us, six and nine years, so she, she was very busy she wanted, she, oh, it was always important to her to contribute and to make money and to work hard, um, beyond even just, you know, raising a family. So my dad went off to work every day in his suit and tie and she ran, um, a daycare at our home. Um, so up to like 20 kids at a time. So it was always very crazy, but she took it in stride and, um, yeah, she was definitely the first entrepreneur that I saw. And it was really inspiring to me. You know, she, she, it was never a question of, um, like not feeling fulfilled. Like she had her own thing. And as a woman, especially, I think having role models like that, where it's somebody who gets to do both, like be the mom. Cause that was always important to me too, being able to be a mom, but also, um, start your own business or have your own thing was really inspiring. So, uh, that was probably like my first sort of look at it. And then honestly, I went off to college, uh, Southern Ohio, Miami university. Most people know it from Ben Roethlisberger playing there. Yeah. And
0: I was thinking maybe Wally Zerbiak back in the day. I think there's a
1: good amount of people from St. Louis that go to Miami. (laughs) Um, not so many people where I live now in Pennsylvania know it, but uh, a lot of people from St. Louis. So there, I, when I went there, I studied communications and I, um, didn't really necessarily know what I wanted to do. I thought I would move to like Chicago uh, some sort of big city and work in PR. But my junior year of college, I met my now husband who was just finishing up um, his graduate program at Penn State University in design. And we fell hard for each other. And when I graduated, I started applying for jobs in the area he was at and got a job at Penn State University working in um, alumni relations and development. So I would go on the road and travel all over the country and meet with alums and hear their stories and, you know, talk with them about why they should give back to the university. And so I met with people, you know, of every type of business and industry you can think of who had been successful and got to hear how they did it. And it was so cool. It was like having a a podcast or something. Yeah.
0: Your own private podcast.
1: Yeah. Like an interview series. And then, um, I would pair them with the right college or philanthropic endeavor. So I was sort of like the initial meet and greeter. Um, and I loved that job. It was great for somebody just out of college, traveling all over the country on um, the university time and getting to see really cool stuff. Like I got to go to the 49ers stadium and be in the locker room, like right before they did the game. It, like, no, really
0: that's cool stuff. Cool.
1: Um, yeah. And so my husband is really, you know, I, I get all the credit cause I've been the face of the business, but he's really the entrepreneur. So he's the one who had the idea for 20 over 10 Okay. Um, and he's the one who pulled me into the business. So it was really him that gave us the start.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So talk to us about that. So you're just sitting around, you know, the campfire in Pennsylvania somewhere and saying, let's just start a company or what was he doing before that?
1: No. So he had taken a tenured, uh, position at Penn state in their, okay. uh, d- their design program. So he was working there. And he, one of the people that he would sometimes work with on other like consulting projects, they were working on, a um, A complete like brand overhaul, website design refresh for a uh, large independent producer group that's based in Pennsylvania. And -hmm. when they were working on this project, they built this great brand and identity and website. But then when they go to link all the websites for the individual advisors that were part of this group, they all looked exactly the same, said the same thing, had the same picture of. A gray-haired man in a red convertible going over the San Francisco, you know, bridge, Golden Gate Bridge. So, they they started like asking questions. Why is this like this? They learned a little bit about compliance. That the options for advisors, this was like 2011 at the time. I would okay. say, um, were really limited. And so they said they had been using Squarespace to build out some things for other clients, and they were like, why don't we build a Squarespace for financial services and people can build their own websites. It'll be compliant. We'll hook up to, you know, we'll archive everything. And, you know, they, it's good. Ignorance is good when you're starting a company because you don't know <laughs> all the things you don't know. So they thought all these advisors would come and build their own websites. And so that was sort of the initial idea was they were going to just create the technology And then advertise it and let people come and create things themselves.
0: Got it. And then you learn very quickly that advisors aren't good at building their own websites.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) we did. Uh, So the two of them still had their full-time jobs. And they did learn very quickly that that wasn't going to be the case. So uh, they still thought the idea was good. And a lot of the people they knew in finance said it was a good idea, but that they needed to sell it and they needed to offer in-house design services. So... um, my husband convinced me to leave my job at Penn state and come on to do sales and marketing. Um, we used to always joke, like if I could sell people the idea of donating to the university that I could sell someone, anything, you know, you're not right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, at the time when we first started doing it, it's interesting. People always ask like, how did you learn so much about marketing? It was really, uh, as I would learn, I would teach. And I think that's one of the best ways to get good at something. So, I would just spend all day looking at what companies who are successful were doing, teach myself, do courses, online work, like scour the internet for articles, read crazy books, and then write it all down and turn it into my own blog post specific for financial services. And the 20 over 10 blog was born that way. We really wanted to practice what we were preaching. So we would share the mistakes we were making along the way. Um, and so, yeah, I was employee number one, came on and did a ton of cold calling, ton of meeting with advisors, hearing the pain points they were having. The We primarily were in the independent RIA model for the first two to three years because we didn't have a really um, comprehensive one-click submission process to attach to broker-dealers. So all, almost all of our clients were in the independent RIA space. And we had a lot of luck going to conferences like for NAPFA, ACP, the Garrett network um, where people have the choice and the freedom to choose whatever kind of marketing that they want. And that's where we started gaining a lot of traction then.
0: So talk about the mindset of an entrepreneur. So there's a ton of people listening to this podcast that are business owners, they're leaders of organizations or leaders of their homes. And so I think it's huge to talk about the the mindset of that stuff, right? Because... We we talk now because you've come out on the other end and, and it was successful, um, but talk to us about those days when it maybe wasn't successful and you and your husband working together and you're kind of like sitting there at night like oh and maybe that's never happened I don't know but I also know entrepreneurial is this roller coaster that you go through and uh, it's a fun roller coaster but it's a roller coaster right and some hills are bigger than others and so talk to us about that like the mindset that it took to know you were going to do at the end and be what do well, but the days that were really tough.
1: It's such a good question. Um, and we were lucky that my husband had his, his job still at the university. So we weren't like, um,
0: going to go bankrupt freaking yeah. out about income,
1: yeah. but still we were, you know, it was, it was definitely, um, it was bootstrapped. So it was all our own money that we were spending. Um, I think from a mindset perspective, I've always been like this. I I know it's like a cliche thing to say, but I am just obsessed with reading and learning things. My mom used to make fun of me as a kid, the breakfast table. If I couldn't find anything to read, I'd read the back of the cereal box or like an advertisement. I love to read. And so um, I just always had this mindset. If we don't um, know the answer, it's just that we don't know it yet. We can figure it out and i've it's funny i try to teach that with my kid that grow those my kids the growth mindset of don't say i can't do this say i can't do it yet yeah. and i really i truly do believe that and even if it's not you that can do it you can figure out who to hire to do it for you so i really tried to have that um, positive mindset about it and my husband and i have always been really great working together as business partners cuz he's very much more practical, tangible, like, that's great. We think we can figure it out, but we need to figure it out in the next month before cash runs out. (laughs) Um, So we were a really great team in that he really focused on the business plan, the finances, um, you know, registering the company, dealing with the lawyers and the attorneys and all that. And I really focused on getting the word out, um, guerrilla marketing, spreading the word. So the mindset that I had going into it was always just every win or like sale that we can get, is not only going to give us momentum to get another one, because you know that momentum is super important, but also we're going to learn something that will make it easier to sell to the next person. So if I was on the phone with somebody and I was really, really working to convince them that they should give us a shot, they as they were talking, I would just take copious amounts of notes and at the end of the day, type them all up. Because I was learning so much about an industry that I had never worked in before. Um, And then I would you know, Google was my friend. I would Google tons of things. Yeah. And sometimes the the mindset too was going into a call. If it was, let's say it was with a broker dealer. So for those people listening who don't know the difference, but like if we couldn't really work with them yet, I would still take the call because I figured I could learn something about that industry that eventually would help us break into it. Yep. So I never, ever turned on any meetings that whole first like 18 months. It was just... What can I learn from every person I talk to?
0: And so, start to sell was when? How long did you guys uh, own that and run that by yourselves?
1: You mean start selling it to customers?
0: No, like the the company, right? So I mean, as as you guys oh. joined up with FMG Suites, I mean, from start to I, I don't want to say finish because it's clearly not even close to finish. Yeah. Um, but wh- wh- how long was that process?
1: It was just under six years.
0: So six years, and then you kind of get the uh, the FMG Suites, uh, who's one of the largest, I think, in the in the country, right, of doing what you're doing. Uh, how do you get their attention?
1: Yeah. So. The first, you know, the marketplace for, so with any industry, right? Like if you niche down specific enough, there's going to be less competition. So within, there's tons of marketing companies out there. There's MailChimp, there's HubSpot, there's Constant Contact, all these companies. But specific for financial services, there's a lot less. So anytime somebody else comes on the scene, especially if it's a a technology-backed product, it's not just a consultant, it's something that can be scaled, people pay attention. And so really from day one, we had you know, VCs uh, coming and, um, you know, wanting to look at what we had built, what we were doing, who our team was. And we had, you know, caught the attention of TD Ameritrade Fidelity. And they all basically said from the beginning, like, you're too small. We can't offer this to our advisors. It's not scalable those first two years. But once we hit like a certain number of advisors using it and we had, you know, like 15 people on staff, then people started to take us more serious. And um, so my husband and the some of the uh, C-suite team at FMG had like seen each other at conferences and events. And were always very cordial and would talk. So they were definitely aware of what we were doing. And I think kind of keeping tabs on us because yeah. they historically been in the BD space and wanted to really break into more of the RIA market. Um, and so then the last three years, as we just sort of took off like a rocket ship, then it was really making sense for them to pay a lot more attention. So yeah, um, you, know, so you do
0: good wants- work and you get the attention, right? It just happens organically, I think. I mean, that's the point to my question was, it's not like this grandiose thing where you got to put this plan together and go hunt somebody down to partner with. You do the right work for people that are listening, right? In whatever careers they're doing, you do the right work, things just happen.
1: Yeah, and I think setting, you going into whatever business you're building, trying to decide from the beginning whether you want to build the company to be, you know, something you're doing when you're 80 and like passing it on to your kids and maybe it's a hundred year company, or do you want to build it to sell and then maybe sell something else? Like, are you more of the entrepreneur who likes the build part is important to think about so that you can um, build it to scale or build it to be attractive to buyers. And my husband and um, his partner always, always from the get-go like they they love to build and create. And so they always had the mindset that they wanted to build it to a certain level and then sell it so the, that they, it could keep going. And, and like he, my husband didn't feel like he wanted to be the CEO of a 400 person company. So knowing that about yourself was really important too. And kind of like your overall trajectory and plan. Yeah.
0: What do do you think you and your husband, if you're sitting around, well, you can't have a glass of wine technically because you're pregnant right now, but (laughs) let's say you were having a glass of wine tonight, a bottle of wine tonight. And what do you think you'd go back and tell yourselves maybe five years ago, seven years ago about that journey of building a company? What what advice would you have for yourselves?
1: Oh, it's such a good question. Um, I think it's funny. Like So much of what I would tell, I feel like if we knew the information would prevent us from wanting to get started because, you know, (laughs) certain certain industries are really difficult to break into. Financial services is one of them because of the SEC and FINRA and compliance and all of these rules that you have to follow. It's not like, hey, we're going to start doing marketing for photographers or marketing for bakery owners, you know, doing marketing in financial services. Uh, for those people listening who aren't aware, you know, the the government and regulators are trying to prevent another Bernie Madoff from guaranteeing 12% yep. returns to everyone. And so there's a lot of parameters in place that make it more difficult to start a business in, in you know, in the marketing space um, in this industry. So not knowing a lot actually, I think was a huge uh, benefit to us because I think if we would have known more, it would have been disheartening and we would have maybe quit before we even got started. I will say the one thing that uh, was so crucial for our success was like every time we would get, we, you know, you, when you own a business you're always looking at the books and the numbers. And sometimes we'd be looking, being like, Oh my gosh, if we don't do X, Y, or Z, like we're going to run out of money in six months in the very beginning. And your natural inclination is to spend less and to buckle down and, the but it's you have to fight against that because you have to spend money to make money. So yeah. you have to hire more people so that you can take on more accounts. You have to run ads and spend money on marketing to so get more attention. And that was something that was difficult for both of us because we're both pretty risk-averse people <laughs> in general. Okay, uh, that's interesting. So that, was, that was hard to fight against.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I wrote down paralysis by analysis. I mean, I think so many people, we want to overanalyze everything and have all the answers and have it perfectly on this spreadsheet and have this one page on his business plan. And sometimes you have to build it while you're going. And that's what I'm hearing that you all did is kind of that. And I don't, it's never luck. So I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but just kind of like you didn't know what you didn't know, mm-hmm. but you had a mission and you had a passion for building something. And so you did it anyway. And I think fear can hold so many of us back.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. I think like the just making a decision, you know, that is the most important thing. If you just look at, you know, what some of the most successful businesses and entrepreneurs have in common is that they just kept going, you know, that whole uh, Angela Druckworth uh, grit book is so true. You, the grittiness is so important, like, because you're going to have days that just feel like everything falls apart and you just, you know, uh, you get so many no's and so many doors slammed in your face, but not giving up and just keep showing up. And there were so many times where I would, you know, approach people and they wouldn't give me the time of day. And then two, three years later, they were knocking on my door, like begging us to do business with them because we were the hot new yeah. company on the market for their advisors. And so that was a really satisfying feeling to say, okay, you know, we've we've built a brand and a reputation. It takes time to build, a reputation that can be trusted and I don't blame companies for saying to two young people in their 20s you know hey you've only been around a year why right. so should we really switch everything and come over to you um that is a risk for their business as well
0: yeah no you're absolutely right i mean you got to build scale but that scale sometimes it's like it's like the young person coming out of college and they want to get the job and they're like well you can't get the job because you need experience <laughs> well, then it's like, how in the hell do I get experience if you're not going to hire me? Right. And so it's same thing though, whether, I mean, right. when we were starting visionary wealth advisors, here we are this company and you know, we left a big company and now we're this small visionary wealth advisors that we created the brand and we were creating the website and it's kind of like, but we had passion and we had energy and you have trust and respect and integrity and you focus on your community and all those things. I think that's what matters and, and your passion. I say that your meaning collectively, your passion sells your brand.
1: And that's why now more than ever though, having things like a podcast or putting an executive or a prominent person from your business on camera every week is so important because as you're building your brand and you're trying to get your name up there more, there's something called the mere exposure effect in psychology, which tells us that just by merely being exposed to something, the more often we're exposed to it, the more we will rate that we like it and feel like we know it. And so when you, you know, you said at the beginning, like, I feel like I see your face all the time. That was an intentional part, you know, for right. me, as I said, maybe if I start doing these videos and showing up in people's social media feeds every week. They'll start to like, they'll listen to a quick two minute tip I'm giving about marketing and they're not ready yet to invite me, you know, um, to come to their custodian and give a webinar to all thousands of their advisors. But if they hear me give a quick two minute clip, they're going to start to see that I know what I'm talking about. I have knowledge, I have expertise, I have authority. And over time, that mere exposure effect kicks in. And that really, really is one of my best tips for anyone starting a business is get in front of the camera or on a podcast so people can see your face, hear your voice week after week, and it will do wonders for building up that credibility and expertise so much yeah. faster.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, you know, I'm on this microphone now for gosh, four and a half years or whatever. And at first when I started, it was one of those like, yeah, maybe I'll do one once a month or every other week. And then it, you know, I did one and then somebody was like, Hey, where's the next one? And I'm like, okay. And then, so we started doing them every, every week. And, you're right. I mean, I'd never heard of this mirror exposure effect, but I, I tell people all the time, you, it's not comfortable though, right? It's not comfortable to get on that camera. It's not comfortable to be uh, uh, vulnerable and put it out in the, in the world, out on social media and say these things. Cause you don't want to come across as like, you think you know everything because I don't. Right. And, but you got to put it out there. And I tell business owners all the time, turn on the camera, let it rip put it out there, see what happens, right? So when you hear that, when, when you think of audio versus video versus print, that's the way I see it. I can read it, I can hear it, or I can watch it. What are you finding has been the most value for people through either social media or finding new clients and not just for financial, it could be lawyers, doctors, whoever. What are they using, print, audio, or uh, video?
1: So I think across the board, video is number one because it can lend itself to really short snippets. And so you might not even, you know, in order to like stop and listen to a podcast, you typically have to be either super interested in the subject or the person being interviewed to hit play and commit like most podcasts, you know, 20, 30 minutes long. Um, Whereas a video, if you're just, if you're on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram and be the way the algorithms work, the uh, social media platform is going to show you content not just by people you follow, but by people who you're connected to that they follow and they're connected to. So you might see in your feed a Facebook video without even following a company and you might watch it just even for 30 seconds. And now you're exposed to that company that you weren't before. Um, Whereas you can't have that same sort of initial exposure with other mediums. So video has definitely worked the most and consumers are watching more video than ever before. I mean, I always joke like, My husband's grandmother, she's in her 80s and she's on YouTube all the time searching how to do things, you know, how to (laughs)
0: connect
1: to the internet, how to, um, you know, vote by mail, whatever the Uh. case may be. And I think that that. Um, you know, just this past year, Pew Research, uh, they put out a study every year about social media usage in the United States and in the world. YouTube took over Facebook as the number one most used platform across all age groups. Wow. So it doesn't matter if you're 90 or nine, people are on YouTube a lot. And so it's a great place to be found organically, too, by a whole new audience, because someone could go to Google and search something, you know, like um you know, whatever the case of the query might yeah. be. I'm gonna give another financial example. It might be the right. audience I love that as much, but um, you know, the best restaurants in St. Louis. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things that could come up in the Google search results could be a quick video of of your company talking about the best restaurants in St. Louis. So um Google will show those YouTube search results right on the first page of Google. Yeah, And so that is why I'm really bullish on video. You can also create video though, like this, like you and I are talking and turn it into a podcast and then repurpose your content. So that's also a great strategy as well.
0: Yeah, and I I saw too that it was something like 83% of videos are watched on mute.
1: Yes, so you definitely want to put the captions on.
0: I mean, that's crazy to me, right? But it's true because how many times are we laying in bed when we should be falling asleep and you're scrolling through and it's like, all right, you don't want to be rude to your spouse and, you know, listen to something they could care less about or they're watching TV or whatever or reading. And it's like, I, I just watch the captions. And so I think that's a really big point that I hope people that do create some videos that they understand is 83% of videos are watched on mute.
1: Yeah. And keeping them really short, you know, having a variety of videos. So like when I'm creating videos for social media, I try to keep them two to four minutes for YouTube, I try to have some that are 15 to even minutes to even an hour, more yeah. like in depth because, you know, on YouTube, the algorithm, um, it's waiting both how many views you get, but then how, what total percentage of the video people are watching. So you're going to get a higher percentage of people watching the whole video when it's only two minutes long, but they're not spending as much time on your channel, which is also part of the algorithm. So having a wide variety of yeah. like, so you might have a quick two minute video talking about something, but then interview an expert on something for 30 minutes. Um, and, you know, I'm sure as you've seen, when you create an interview series, it doesn't matter what industry you're in and you bring in other people who have expertise, who are well-known in that space then they're going to share it with their audience. So then right. you're now ex- getting exposed to their audience. So it's just a great way to get in front of new new potential prospects. Yeah, this is
0: a spider web and just becomes massive. So um, let's talk about fears. I, I mentioned it earlier. I think fears hold so many of us back. And, and I ask this question all the time, but how many of the fears you've put in your mind, right? So Samantha Russell had this fear when you're building 20 over 10, how many of those fears actually blew up to the magnitude you laid in bed and thought about them.
1: I will just give the the caveat that I'm not a worrier really at all. My husband, is, <laughs> he worries enough for both of us. He will. All
0: right, perfect. So how many of his fears blew up to the magnitude, right?
1: <laughs> so he was be in bed at night being like, oh my God. Um, yeah. I am just by nature, not a worrier, which I bless. Thank God for my genes. No kidding. People struggle with that. But, uh, but I did have some, like, I worried that it might, you know, tear our marriage apart working right. together. Yeah didn't happen. Um, he was always worried, you know, we were going to run out of money or, um, that the, we just wouldn't get enough traction quick enough and we'd have to close it, close it up. Um, I, none of the fears that he had came true. Absolutely none. And I would say, um, you know, if anything, like the stuff that he was worried about, the stuff that he was worried about were never the things that we needed to be worried about. We were really lucky, knock on wood. We didn't have any like big disasters that happened that we had to deal with. I know some companies have lawsuits that they have to contend sure. with or they, you know, they've mortgaged their house to pay for the, the business. And then the business. Like, we didn't have any of those terrible things happen. So we were really lucky.
0: That's awesome. But I think it's, it's you would probably agree that these fears that hold us back, they they, I shouldn't say always, but rarely ever do they come true like your husband's sitting there running out of money, right? That's a real fear for people and working in money every day. I hear that from people, right? I don't want to start this. Or I don't want to do that. What if I go broke? And it's like, yeah, I, I mean, it could happen to
1: him. Like we're two highly educated, skilled people we can always make more money. That's right. Make More money. And That's maybe right. we have to spend less, but we can always make more. My, my mom used to always say this when I was a kid and she learned it from her mom, but they would always say, whenever there was a problem or something that was just causing you to think about it over and over again, they would say, just picture yourself at 90 and you're sitting there. Are you going to be thinking about this? Will this ever even cross your mind? And if the answer is no, just let it go. And so I use that as my barometer all the time. And there's not very many things that once you've lived your life and you know, you're approaching the end of life that really matter. I mean, other than did you spend time with the people you love Did you work on something you were passionate about? And so I didn't, I really try to use that day in and day out.
0: Want to make a difference in the world, right? Um, So how do you stay a student of the game?
1: Uh, I am obsessed with reading everything I can get my hands on across all different disciplines. I'm a huge fan of behavioral psychology. I think it doesn't matter what industry you're in, but if you're trying to grow a business, especially learning how people make decisions about, buying, how they make decisions about what communications and messages they pay attention to, like what gets their attention is really important. So
0: what do you recommend on that? What, 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 any books you recommend or any spots to go to?
1: I, um, I read a lot of different like online publications. So I'll read like, um, the Harvard business review. I love to read the economist. Um, there's different, just like behavioral psychology blogs out there. Um, Uh, Daniel Crosby in our industry and Morgan Housel are two names that come to mind. They do a lot on behavioral psychology, specifically in financial services. Um, Adam Grant does a lot on behavioral psychology for workplaces and communications. He just came out with a great book called Think Again. Um, James Clear, who does Atomic Habits, talks a lot about, you know, different things. And yeah, so there's lots of great authors out there. One of my favorite books, though, I say this all the time, which is really funny. It's not... A business book by any stretch of the means, but whenever people ask me like, what's a top book you can recommend for being a better communicator is uh, it's not a book that most people would equate to communicating with other people in general, but it, the principles in it are so well laid out and they apply to any relationship, whether it's your significant other, your children, your staff, and it's how to talk. So kids will listen and listen. So kids will talk. So if you have mm. ever read that book, they give you so many different frameworks. Like if somebody comes to you with a problem, how do you respond? And so much of what we've been conditioned to do is to solve problems, which leads people to stop talking. And
0: how how to listen so kids will talk?
1: How to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. And so in the book, they give you, what I love about it is there's lots of little like cartoons with bubbles of like parents talking to their kids and they show you different strategies, but it doesn't just apply to children. It applies to any relationship you can think of, Mm -hmm. which is just being a better listener and then asking the right kinds of questions to make people open up, to make them feel like whatever it is you're talking to them about is their idea, which is also an important part of buy-in. So yeah, so that's one of my, you know, it doesn't matter what business you're in. I think it's a great, great book to read.
0: I will be putting that on the list right now and be ordering that when we get off the phone here or get off the zoom call, whatever we're on these days with this pandemic world. So, um, so what, what do you do right now to stay in the game? I talked about being a student of the game, but to be a student in the game and what I mean by that is mindset. Um, is it meditation? Is it nutrition? Is it sleep, water, food, all the above? What is, what is it for you?
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I think it's all of the above. I mean, you can see me here drinking my 40 ounces of water. I have uh, all day long, have that. I make it a point to walk four miles a day and then I do circuit training. It's, my workouts are very different now that I'm this far <laughs> along. <my laughs> Six
0: or seven months pregnant, that starts to happen, yeah. right?
1: I'm, the one habit I'm really bad about is sleep. I in order to be present with my kids when they're home, um, and still get as much done as I need to, I often work late, which is not a good habit, but, um, I feel like, you know, there'll be time to catch up on sleep later when they're in school, like more hours. And one of the things that I think is just really important for me is I try to make it a regular habit every week, once a week to do a call with somebody that either I've like, met on Twitter or came across their work and I'm inspired by them, or, or maybe a client of ours that, you know, used us five years ago and they had great success. And I just want to check in with them or somebody in our industry that I look up to. So try to do one in-person call, whether it's a zoom call or just like a phone call, but sure. where I can actually talk to people um, every week. And that really helps fill my bucket, gets me hearing what's working, you know, kind of on the ground. Um, and also just keeps that network growing, you know, which is also really important.
0: It's awesome. I love it. So where do our listeners find more of uh, Samantha Russell?
1: Yeah. So if you go to samantharussell.20over10.com, um, all of my like social media handles, all the videos that we create, all the resources, marketing resources, uh, that we have, Uh, free and available for anyone to download are all there. And again, you know, we're specific to financial services, but if you're in any, what I call service-based industry where you're not necessarily selling a product as much as you're selling a service, these apply. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Just
0: change the financial advisor word to whatever you do word and and, and, uh, they all apply. Yep. work Oh Well, Samantha, it's awesome having you on the circuit of success. Um, keep up the great work, love uh, what you guys are doing. And, and to your point to validate this, I mean, we're here today because you're picking up the phone, you're giving a video and you're making things happen and you're making a difference, which is why we get to talk. And now you get to make a difference to our listeners. So we're very thankful for that and uh, look forward to seeing you again in the future on the circuit of success.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun.